Welcome to the Health in Motion podcast. I'm your host, Evie Takis. I'm a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner who loves to help people achieve their wellness goals they once thought were impossible to reach. I am the owner of Holistically Restored, and through my coaching practice, I have been able to guide my clients through their own health journeys and teach them to truly understand their body. With a focus on hormone, thyroid, and weight management, I strive to instill the knowledge, confidence, and encouragement everyone deserves. If you enjoy this content, I'd love for you to subscribe and also leave a review on Apple Podcast. Please tell your friends, family, or anyone who is curious about bettering themselves in a holistic way. The more, the merrier. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and is not to be taken as medical advice. I am so happy you're here and ready to learn. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Health Emotion Podcast. Let's go ahead and chat about blood sugar. Yeah, this is something that I've been interested in for a while, and I've wanted to make an episode on it for a while as well, but I wanted to wait to have more data on myself because as you'll hear, I've been doing some experimenting with a continuous glucose monitor. So I first was interested in all of this because I was diagnosed with insulin resistance years ago. Like this was before I even got into health and actually cared about much of anything. Um, And that was also most likely, as we learned, the driver of my PCOS. So I describe my insulin resistance at the time of like looking at a carb and gaining weight. And that's just what it felt like. And I've heard people say that now of like, oh, I just look at I just look at dessert and I gain weight. Um, So I did record an episode on what insulin resistance is in association with PCOS. That is episode 22. So if you don't know what that is and you want to learn more, definitely check that episode out. So needless to say, I've been very interested in blood glucose and blood sugar and insulin and all of that stuff for a few years. And like in the past few years, I've periodically checked my glucose levels using a glucometer, which is like the finger prick at home just to see where things are at. And I've had my ups, I've had my downs, I've had issues with high glucose values in the past. And I have um, diabetes, type two diabetes runs in my family. And so with that knowledge, I definitely want to do everything I can to avoid that. And I know a lot of that is lifestyle, diet, exercise, all of that. And as you, I mean, most of you know me and know that I definitely stay on top of that, but it kind of scared me when I was first diagnosed with insulin resistance. Again, this was years ago when I had PCOS and I was in a PCOS state. That's not my current state now, Um, but it was definitely something that kind of scared me of like, well, shoot, am I headed down this route? And now I know epigenetics, right? So even though you might have the genetics for something doesn't mean that they have to be turned on or that you're going to end up that way. And your lifestyle drives a lot of whether or not your genetics get turned on or not. Um, So I've experimented with several things to bring my glucose down to a reasonable level. So everything from food pairings, food timing, exercise, different things with my diet and nutrition. And before I want, before I go into what I've recently done with the continuous glucose monitor, I wanted to get into some of the science of blood glucose just to give you some background as to why this is even important, what it does, and what you can expect. So blood glucose is also known as blood sugar, and it's the type of sugar that we get from foods we eat when... Um, we eat food and that turns into energy. So every time we eat, glucose is going to rise and then it comes back down after a few hours. 
So insulin is also something that we need to talk about. Insulin is the hormone made by the pancreas that helps transport the blood glucose from the blood into the cells to be used for energy or to be stored for later. So I like to think of it as a key that unlocks or opens your cells to put the glucose inside. So if someone has too much glucose coming in rapidly, let's say because they're eating really frequently or they just have a poor diet, um, they're eating a lot of sugary things, or there's another reason for a breakdown and utilizing insulin properly, the body is going to try to make more insulin to correct that issue. So the body's like, oh, well, the glucose is not getting into the cells. Let's just pump up more um, insulin. And so they, you know, let's just get more cells and there are more keys in there to open up the cells. But the body can come become resistant to the hormone insulin. So insulin resistance happens when the cells in your muscles, fat and liver don't respond as they should to insulin, which is a hormone your pancreas makes that's essential for life and regulating blood glucose levels. So when you become resistant to insulin, it's basically just saying like your body doesn't know what to do with all the keys that it has made to transport that blood glucose. So under normal circumstances, insulin functions like this. Your body's going to break down the food that you eat into a glucose, which is sugar, um, which is also your body's main source of energy. Glucose is then going to enter into your bloodstream, which is going to signal to your pancreas to release insulin. Insulin helps glucose in your blood enter your muscle, fat, and liver cells so that they can use it for energy or store it for later use. And when glucose enters your cells and the levels in your bloodstream decrease, it signals to your pancreas to stop producing insulin. So for some reasons, your muscle, your fat, your liver cells can respond inappropriately to insulin, which means that they can't efficiently take up the glucose from your blood to store it. So this is what insulin resistance is. And as a result, your pancreas makes more insulin to try to overcome your increasing blood glucose levels. And that can also then lead to type 2 diabetes, but it doesn't have to. And insulin resistance is also something that can be very temporary. And I was not told that when I was diagnosed with insulin resistance. It was just like, yeah, you have this and uh, let's cut your carbs and let's get you on metformin. And I mean, I did that. I'm not going to say that I didn't follow the the rules, right, that the doctor had made for me. But now looking back, I'm like, okay, that could be helpful for, and it was kind of helpful for a period of time. But overall, like I wanted to get to the point where I wasn't having this issue. Like I wanted my pancreas to know not to overmake insulin. I wanted my cells to be able to absorb the glucose and have the insulin work. So, I mean, you know me by this point, I just wanted to get to the root cause and really figure out how can I correct this. So as far as glucose is concerned, proper glucose levels from a functional perspective, when we're looking at optimal glucose levels are going to be between an 80 to 100 all day long. So fasting, you might be anywhere from like a 75 to a 90. But if you get into the 90s or the 100s with a fasting glucose value, I personally think that that's a little elevated. It's nothing that like is going to be alarming, but it's just more of like, okay, how can we bring that down a little bit? And we don't want to increase over 30 values after eating. So for example, if you wake up with an 80 and then you have breakfast and you go up to like 100, like an hour after you eat, okay, like that's fine. And then two hours after you eat, you want to make sure you're getting back down to what that baseline was, which was 80. So that's the thing is an hour after we eat, 
our value is going to increase, you know, probably the highest it will. And then two hours after we eat, we want it to come back down to what it was prior to eating. So that's why it's really nice to check your glucose and to check it several times a day and with different meals to see like, okay, my glucose went up high an hour after I ate breakfast, but then it came back down and it was fine and it was fine up until lunch. And then it went up again after I ate and then it came back down and then it came up after dinner, but then it came back down. So that's the thing is we want to make sure that we're seeing that proper, it is a little bit like a roller coaster, but we don't want it to be like a drastic and really dramatic roller coaster. It is going to fluctuate and go up and down, up and down throughout the day. But we want the we want the values of what it goes up and down to be still pretty tight. We don't want it to be like over 30. So like if you had a fasting glucose of 80 and then it went up to, let's say, 130 after breakfast, that's definitely something to look into of like, huh, why did it go up that high? Did I not have enough protein? Was that too many carbs? Were they the carbs that aren't the best for me? Like, did I not go for a walk after? And we're going to get into some of that stuff too. But it's just, it's something that I've learned to look at and to kind of see the trends for, which is why I don't love just looking at fasting glucose with like a blood test when I go get my thyroid done. Like, sure, that might be helpful, but I mean, you're not really getting the full picture because you might have a really great fasting glucose value, but then it just all kind of goes downhill with what you're eating throughout the day. So if you do look online, some sites will report that even up to 100 is okay for fasting, but I think it depends on who you are and your health history. And I personally don't like to see it that high. I think, again, somewhere between a 75 and a 90 would be great for fasting. So if glucose gets too high, which is going to be called hyperglycemia, someone might feel nauseous, they might have that excessive hunger and thirst, might have a rapid heartbeat, vision problems, and a few other symptoms. And if that goes untreated, it can lead to serious health problems. So if you're someone that has high blood glucose values a lot, that's going to be really um, detrimental to your long-term health. Now, on the flip side, if your glucose gets too low, which is hypoglycemia, you might feel fast heartbeat, you might have some shaking, maybe you start sweating, the nervousness sets in, you're you're irritable or you're like confused, uh, can't think straight, you're dizzy, hunger. So I and most of us, I think, can relate to like that hanger feeling where you might even know based on feeling of like, okay, I'm definitely like having low blood sugar. I need something right now. And so you're just going to reach for something sugary and carby because that's really what your body and brain knows is going to help you. So I was going through that a lot last year, actually. And my doctor and I were trying to track my glucose regularly to see what's going on. We also looked at my A1C, which is another marker for diabetes. And she was concerned that it was a bit too low. So we have been making some changes and I'm going to talk about what that is. But long-term effects of having higher glucose levels are also increased with the chance of developing type 2 diabetes. Like I said, you're going to have larger body fat percentage, the risk of a heart attack, stroke, problems with your feet, nerves, kidney, eyes, and more like, you know, like gout is a big thing. So there's a lot that are risk. There's a lot of risk in having higher levels of glucose as well as low. Um, You don't want to have lower levels of glucose either. It needs to be in that sweet spot. And again, that's going to be different from person to person, but there's still a range that we want to stay in. So that's the big picture of what should be happening with glucose and all of that to say I decided to buy a continuous glucose monitor and I've been wearing that for, I'm just finishing up three months. So I went with NutriSense based on the recommendation from a friend and I've liked it so far. 
Um, It's been a good experience. And I wanted to share some of the aha moments that I've had and just kind of the learnings and my experience with it. And um, again, I'm coming up, I'm just finishing the three months. And so um, I feel like I have enough information and data to share this now compared to when I first got it. So the way that it works, and again, this is for NutriSense. I'm not sure what other ones are. There's there's a lot of other companies and brands that are doing this, but you're going to fill out a health quiz online. They approve your prescription for it and your sensors, which are the ones that um, the things that you actually put on your arm. And they they currently using the Freestyle Libre. And so I don't know when you're going to listen to this. It might not be those sensors, but that's what they're using now. Um, they're, they're sent to you. So you do need a prescription for it, but you fill out information online and they approve your prescription. They send you the sensors. And then there's this app that you have to download um, that is associated with the sensor. So you wear one sensor for two weeks at a time. So over the three month span, you're going to expect to wear six different sensors. And they have an app that you download onto your phone to see your data. You can talk to a dietitian. So with the program that I did, again, I did the three month um, subscription. You get one month of free access to a dietitian and then you can keep that dietitian and just pay for it. Uh, And there's a fee to pay it for the rest of the two months. Um, I didn't do that. I just used the one the one month free dietitian. And that was very helpful. And so some of the things that I learned, I actually was able to learn through her and kind of test things out. So this works by measuring the interstitial fluid, which is the fluid that surrounds the cells of your tissue below your skin. And usually glucose moves from your blood vessels and capillaries first, and then into your interstitial fluid. So it's not an immediate response, just like taking a glucose on a glucometer. So for example, when I take my glucose with my glucometer, which is the finger prick at 7 a.m., I'm getting an exact measurement of what my glucose is. But if I were to scan my sensor with my phone at 7 a.m., I would technically be getting my glucose from about 15 to 20 minutes prior. So you also can calibrate your sensor based on the glucometer's reading to make sure that it's accurate. And I had to do that with almost every sensor. So when I would first scan the new sensor, it would be like, my glucose was like 58. And I'm like, what? And then I would take it with my glucometer, like the finger prick, and it'd be like, I don't know, 89 or something. And I'm like, okay, so then I'd mark the time. And then I'd just count, okay, 15 minutes from now, I'm going to scan. And so whatever that difference was from the glucometer, and then 15 minutes later from my sensor, you could go in and manually calibrate it so that it's more accurate. Um, so it's easy to do. It's just something that I do recommend you double check. And you don't have to have a glucometer to do that because they also say you can just take it based off of, of a previous um, fasting glucose value from like blood work or something if you have that, which I think most people are, that's pretty standard. Um, so some of the things that I noticed were that glucose fluctuates a lot more than I thought. Just throughout the day, it's going to be fluctuating after every meal. It's going to fluctuate with exercise. It's going to fluctuate with stress. And that was just really insightful for me to see because I knew that like on a like education level, I knew that that happened. But just seeing that in myself, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So this, it made me more motivated to eat right and to not be stressed and to like not have these extra little bits and pieces of things when I really didn't need it because I was like, I don't want this to impact my glucose. I also think that getting a full day picture of glucose is super important. So taking it once in the morning while fasted is just not a great representation of what's truly going on because you're missing the whole picture of what happens throughout the day. Like I said, I was just fascinated by how different my glucose would be 
you know, a few hours after waking up. And that was really due to like my exercise or my food or stress. And so I just thought, you know, if you're just taking a snapshot, you're not really getting the full picture. Another thing I learned is that zero calorie drinks, like in particular, like Zevia, and I know this is not a zero calorie one, but I love Olipop as well. These give a good spike more than I thought. Um, I'm not saying that to scare you or like you can't drink this or don't do this, but you know, that's sweetened with stevia. And like, I just, there are certain flavors though that do it more than others, which I think is really interesting. And so I was, I was just really fascinated by seeing how my body responded to those types of things that without the sensor, I would have just been like, oh, well, no big deal. There's no calories to this. It's whatever. And so that was, I think, just like naive of me to think that it wasn't influencing my glucose at all. I will say, though, that when I was drinking those, particularly the Olipops, which have more sugar and they actually contain carbs and things, um, the spike was more of like a really skinny one, which means that it would just spike for just a bit and then it'd come right back down. It wasn't something that really messed with me the rest of the day, but I still didn't want that. Um, And so I'm a lot more particular as to when and how often I'm drinking things like that. The other thing I noticed is that exercise really does increase your glucose, but it's the good type of increase. The spike is going to be narrow, right? So it's going to come back down really quickly and it should increase during exercise because when you're exercising, you're also increasing cortisol. And so when you're increasing cortisol, the body's going to think that you need glucose um, to fight after whatever the body is interpreting as a threat, which, you know, in this case, the exercise just feels like, okay, we need a lot of energy for this. So I thought that was really cool to see. And um, just with particular types of exercise too, like the more effort I put in, I'd see more of a glucose spike. And like I said, it was typically a narrow little spike. It wasn't something that would, you know, last for hours, but that was pretty cool to see. The other thing that causes a spike is cold plunges. So you know that I love my cold plunges and I love my cold exposure. And Oh my gosh, the spikes that I would get after doing cold plunges was super interesting. And although overall cold exposure can support blood glucose levels, in the moment it's going to increase them, right? This is more of like over time doing cold exposure can help balance out blood sugar. And we talked about that on our cold exposure um, episode But like the actual act of getting in the cold, I mean, think about it. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is so cold. Why am I doing this? Your body's going to be stressed. And so that is going to increase the glucose. But again, it was very, very narrow. It was like a a needle point. Um, So it was definitely something I noticed, but again, not, not too bad. The other thing is that eating too many carbs, which, you know, too many carbs is so dependent on the person. Like I might be able to tolerate more carbs than you or vice versa. So it's hard to say, what is too many or, you know, how much is too many, but eating too many really does increase your um, sugar, your glucose. And it takes a longer time for that glucose to come back down. At least that's what I noticed for me. And so I was really able to pinpoint like, okay, like, oh, that might've been a little too much or, you know, that might not have been enough actually. So that was kind of cool to play around with my meals. The other thing I noticed was that walking after meals, which I'm a huge proponent of and I've been talking about for a long time, really does lower your glucose. So that's something that is something that I've been talking about and really into. But I've realized that if I didn't walk after eating, my glucose would actually take twice as long to come back down after the meal. So I thought that was pretty interesting and just gave me more of a reason to continue walking. 
And this was really new for me, but the order of meals was interesting for me. I learned through the work with my dietitian that eating protein and non-starchy vegetables first can be beneficial because you're putting fiber and protein in your system first, which is going to stunt any major glucose spike caused by the carbohydrates you eat. So I started eating protein, leafy greens, non-starchy vegetables first, and then I saved my carbs for last. And it was really cool to see that my glucose actually was a lot better after eating in that order versus just eating whatever I wanted. So that's been really interesting to see. And with the app, you can actually track your meals, right? Like get very specific. It'll track your calories, your macros, all of that stuff. And so I decided to do that for a period of time. And I was not getting as much fiber as I thought I was. So that was very humbling for me because I'm like, oh, I get plenty of fiber and this and that. But the more fiber that I took in, I did notice that the lower my levels of glucose. So that was pretty crazy to see of like, wow, if I'm having fiber rich carbs and fiber rich foods, I'm actually having better glucose response. So that was again, like I know that, but then seeing it with my own eyes for my own body, my own interstitial fluid, right? Like that was really interesting. And then one of the biggest things that I learned that I think was so valuable because, again, I know that this happens, but seeing it in real time for yourself is just it's it's different is that stress will absolutely increase my glucose like immediately because stress is going to increase cortisol So the body interprets the stressor and provides glucose in order to have energy to fight off that threat. So the more stress, the more glucose. So there was a super stressful day, like it was just chaotic and my blood glucose was through the roof and it barely really came down that whole day. And I barely ate that whole day. Like I I didn't exercise. I was just ultra stressed dealing with what I would say would be a crisis. And my glucose was in like the 130s and 40s, which is extremely rare for me. So I'm usually like, I'm not, I'm really not ever that high. And so I noticed that it took me a while to come back down. Like it took me days to come back down. So I found that really interesting that I had such high glucose response on that stressful day and that it took me a while to get my glucose back down to my normal range. And I just think that was such a good visual for me. And I needed to see that because I mean, I can't always control what's going to happen to me, right? But like, maybe I'm going to change my response to things now because I'm going to be like, hey, I don't want my glucose to get like this. Or I saw what happened last time. I didn't manage things properly. And I just don't want that to happen. So I thought that was really interesting and probably one of the biggest lessons and most valuable lessons for me personally while wearing this. So some general takeaways on how to maintain proper blood glucose levels going to be obviously limiting alcohol. We know this. You want to get proper sleep because I noticed, you know, days that I wasn't sleeping well, I had higher glucose levels and there was just more fluctuations. I also think spacing out meals to give your values time to come down is important. So if you remember, I talked about that when we eat something, our glucose is going to rise. And then about two hours later, it should come back down closer to that baseline, whether that you're, you're fasting or what it was prior to eating. So if you're constantly eating, your body is constantly having this blood glucose spike. And so if you get if you eat and then you give yourself hours in between, your glucose has a chance to come back down. 
And so that's why I've stopped eating so frequently. I'll just have bigger meals spaced out throughout the day, about three to four hours in between. And that has kept me satiated because I'm eating more meals. I'm having more protein. Um, and it's just helped my glucose because if I'm eating at eight o'clock, but then I eat something at like 930, my glucose hasn't even really come down all the way from that eight o'clock meal. So that's something that I've noticed has been really important too, is spacing out your meals and giving your body a chance to come back down to that baseline. Um, another thing that I think is important to note is that having carbohydrates on their own, again, is just going to be um, higher probability of having a higher glucose spike. So I like to pair my carbs with, my, with a protein and or a fat. I very rarely ever eat carbs on their own. Like I'll never just have an apple on its own. I'm always going to have it with some sort of protein. So if that's just like something that I'm like snacking on really quickly or I'm on the go, it might be like a meat stick or maybe it's part of my meal or it's part of a salad and I have grilled chicken or something with it. But I'm never really having carbs on their own because I know that they're going to increase my glucose a lot faster and higher than if I pair that with a protein or a fat. So those are going to be some of my big recommendations from my own experience and then also just what literature shows. And so I absolutely recommend doing something like a NutriSense or whatever you, whatever company you want to go with. I think it's good for someone who's interested in learning more or if you have a specific goal that you're working towards. I do think it's helpful to have that information. There were times when I did feel a little overwhelmed with the information, to be honest, just I also wear an aura ring and so I track my sleep and my heart rate and like it just felt like a little data over overkill at some point of like, oh, there's so much data on me. Um, so you have to also take it with a grain of salt of like this is just data and um, just learn, you know, learn to understand your body a little bit better. So I am going to take a little break with it um, since I'm at the end of my three months. I'm probably going to pick it back up at some point. Um, but right now I feel like I got enough information. I feel really good about what I learned and I'm ready to just kind of take the stuff that I learned and start to implement it. And then if I want to get started with it again, I'm sure I'm going to do that. So hopefully this was helpful for you if you've been interested in using continuous glucose monitors or if you followed along my journey of what I've been doing because I've been sharing it on my social media. I wanted to give a recap with my experience and what are the big takeaways and give you some of the education on why it's important to look into this and what we can gather and how we can make adjustments to our life to be healthier. So again, hope it was helpful. If you have any questions about this, please let me know. The contact information is in the show notes. There's also a code that I have for um, if you're interested in looking at NutriSense, everybody who gets a sensor, they give you a code that you can share with friends. So this is something that, again, if you're interested in using, go for it. It's going to be there. Um, if you want to use another one, go for that. Not a big deal, but just something to check out. So I hope that this was helpful. I look forward to the next episode. I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I so appreciate your interest in holistic health and hope you learned something you can apply to your own life. References from this episode are linked in the show notes, as well as links to find me, Evie, on social media platforms. If you'd like to learn more about services from Holistically Restored, click on the link in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this content, I encourage you to subscribe and also leave a review on Apple Podcast. Until next time, be well, my friends.